to have the future of Israeli philanthropy include a variety of different people that comprise Israeli society, I believe that's a good thing for us as a state, for us as a community, and overall for our relationship as Israel abroad. It's important to have those voices at the table. From the Jewish Funders Network, this is What Gives, the Jewish Philanthropy Podcast. I'm Andres Pocoini. On What Gives, we explore and debate the issues that matter in philanthropy and the Jewish community. And along the way, we build a deeper sense of community by sharing stories, getting to know the people in our field, and spreading ideas that can help all Jews and all givers change the world. Today, we are speaking with Adina Shapiro and Rim Yunis. Adina, who is a member of JFN's board, is a partner at Israel's leading law firm, Herzog Fox Neman, specializing in high-tech and cross-border corporate transaction. Adina serves on the board of directors of other philanthropies and has founded and headed several associations and other philanthropic activities in both the Jewish and Arab sectors in Israel. Among other activities, Adina currently serves as chair of the board of the Jerusalem International YMCA. She serves on the board of the Jerusalem Season of Culture and is a member of several other public committees, including the Israeli National Advisory Committee for Establishment of Arabic-Speaking Information Centers for the Disabled in Israel. Reem holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in Civil Engineering from the Technion, the Israel Institute of Technology. In 1993, together with her husband Imad, she founded Alpha Omega LTD, which has become one of the leading companies in the neurosurgery field internationally. Reem serves on the board of several nonprofits and works with businesses, civil society, and government to create opportunities for Arab entrepreneurship in Israel. The three of us talked about Kudra, a new organization for Arab philanthropists in Israel that was inspired by JFN. Our first conversation took place before the upheaval of May, when triggered by a new war in Gaza, Jewish Arab rioting broke out inside Israel. Since that was such a momentous event, I followed up with Reem recently to talk about it and see how it affected her and the work of Kudra. Take a listen. Reem, tell us a little bit about Kudra. First of all, what does the name Kudra mean? Kudra is the meaning in Arabic, it's ability, ability. Okay. Uh, we thought it's the, to be able to help and to contribute to make our, our community a better one. So Qudra is a group of seven people who got together and decided that we want to, I would say, adopt the JFN model, but for the Arab philanthropy. So we have six business people from all around Israel, part from the north, the south, and, and the center, who got together and we decided to start this initiative so we can be together, maybe, you know, consult together, do things together, help our community together, and learn from each other. 
And now we're in the process of recruiting more members. So hopefully by the end of the year, we will, we will be about 25 people. Like this is our target. And you said, interestingly, that this is from all parts of the country, the Negev, the Galilee, and, and the center of the country. So it, it, seems, it tries to be representative of the entire Arab sector. Yeah, I mean, this is what we try to have. I mean, like, it's not that we picked the people, but it turned out to be very diverse, you know, with, with very diverse backgrounds and with, and with diversity of, of geography. So it's good because we have Brahim from the Negev and we have people from the Triangle and other people from the northern part of Israel. Very interesting. And, and what has been going on at Kudra in the last few months? What are the things that you've been doing? What are the projects that more interest the members of Kudra? Yeah, I would say, you know, after, after all the things that happened in May, I, I believe that we are rethinking what we need to do in Qudra, each one in, in his or her own way. But the projects now that we were able to do is that we got from a fund um, some money that would be matched with our donations in order to promote higher education and employment. So this is a great catalyzator for, for the members that whenever, if I want to help an organization, so my donation would be doubled. So this is one of the initiatives that we are having. Yeah, other than that, like we're having a, a session that we would learn more about the impact of giving. So it's scheduled for the end of this month. Like we're starting with baby foot with, you know, small steps that hopefully these steps will, will be much bigger with time. Every long march starts with one step and the, and the step of the, of the matching grant. You know, we yes. at JFN are very, very big fans of matching grants. We've done many of them and we know they can be very, very powerful tools. It, just, just a question that is curious to me. Um, are there many women in Kudra? I mean, of course, you are a living figure there, but is it, is it more men, more women? Are you having... Uh, of course, any... it's more men, uh, Andreas. Like, this is... The world is dominated by men. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, unfortunately, I'm the only one in the core group. But of course, we will recruit more and more uh, women. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, you know, you know the numbers. I think it's all around the world that the men are more, more dominant in this. But uh, we'll see how many women we can recruit. Yeah, and definitely there are, there are many initiatives within the JFN of trying to empower women philanthropists. And, and this could be something amazing that we could do together with, with Kudra, trying to also empower women philanthropists in the Arab sector. Talking about women philanthropies, talk to me a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? What brought you to philanthropy? What sort of things you fund and you care about? I mean, I grew up in Nazareth, a very simple family. We didn't have much money, but I remember that my parents used to help whenever they, they could. But it was more of a charity and by 
looking at the community, at, at most of the Arab community, I mean, I saw that most of the giving was charity and not strategic give, giving. But you know, when we established the business and started to see the real problems of the, of the community, and we decided that Imad and me, Imad, my husband and me, and we decided, uh, and actually, you know, after meeting some people from the JFN, we started understanding that even philanthropy should be strategic, like business. For Imad and me, we decided that our giving would be uh, towards uh, closing economic gaps. So we believe that if we encourage young people to go and study STEM education, and after that, we help them get a job. And after getting a job, we encourage them to go back to their cities and villages and start their own businesses. This would close the economic gap between the Arab community and the Jewish community. So this is why most of our giving is, I would say, is, is towards the three E's, which are education, employment, and entrepreneurship. And this is something that also we understand about because this is what we do, actually, you know, like having a, a high-tech company and working with young people. So we do understand how to do that. Just tell me a little bit about how the events that happened in last May, you know, especially the, the, the Arab-Jewish tension and violence inside the Green Line, uh, how did it affect you? Uh, were you personally affected, friends and family? Were you surprised? Did it affect the way Kudra looks at philanthropy or the things you're funding was it a refocusing of the philanthropy? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, last May was was horrible for, for all of the people in Israel. I mean, for me, I have to admit, it, it was a shock. Like, I, I felt that I was in, in a true grief. Like, it's as if someone died. You know, as I told you, like... The, the support that we give in the three E's, suddenly I understood that this support is not enough because closing the economic gaps is not enough. We need people to be proud of themselves. And looking at the young people, you know, going out in the streets and burning and ruining everything, all the properties, it showed me how much they they do not feel that they belong to this place. So uh, I believe that we need to invest more in culture, emphasize on being proud of your past, of your language, of your music, of your theater, of all of these things. Because I believe that people who are proud with their culture, they can move forward and be part of, of another culture. But as long as you're denied to be proud of your culture, it, it's hard to, to be part of a different culture. So 
maybe together with the, with the group in Qudra, we can think about something like that, you know, to, to fund something which is related to culture. And I have to admit that this is something that I do not understand a lot about, but I'm sure we can find the, the right people to work with. Yeah, I think, I think that strong cultures actually and cultures that respect themselves, then they can be less insecure and connect with others uh, in, a, in a healthier way. Let's hope that this event of last May also give a sense of urgency to, to the good people, the people that are doing good. Because one of the things that I think the media didn't cover that much was the other side. Everybody saw the riots and whatever, but nobody saw the the solidarity, the working together, you know, groups like yours doing things to improve coexistence and the like. So I think that we we all have a role to play in also shining a light on on the good news of the of of the coexistence. Well, you, you know, Andreas, like this is the first time that we saw businesses get out of their comfort zone and say, no, this is enough. Like this is not what we want. Like we saw. Cellcom going out and saying, we want to work together. Also the Minora company, the insurance company. I mean, they, they had like all of these big signs in the streets that we do not agree with this division. I mean, with all of the, the bad things that happened, but we saw that businesses stood out and said, like, it's our responsibility. We are going into this and we're taking responsibility on bringing a better Israel for all of us. This is part of the good things that I see ha- happened after, after me. Excellent. And let's hope these good trends get maximized and, and followed by many others. So if you guys have to tell me, standing on one foot, what is the status of Arab philanthropy in Israel today? I mean, the state, the, the status of the Arab philanthropy in Israel is the same like yesterday. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, this network that we just established about one month ago, and we're still, you know, like we're we're doing baby baby foots towards going out and uh, informing everybody about it. We need to go a little bit back about why why it started. If we go back and say like when, like what what is the philanthropy in the Arab community, I would say that it's a way of everyone who, who gave alone to whatever he so in need to help. It's more of a, we can define it maybe as a charity and not as a philanthropy. Like, I think there is lots of giving in the Arab community, but it's in a way not organized and no one is looking after the giving to see if, if the giving created a change or, or did an impact. Right. The idea was, you know, to come together and maybe start such thing of, you know, everyone gives, but let us start learn how to give and how, how to have that impact. 
as a Jewish Israeli that's been involved in philanthropy, it is amazing for me to see that there are actually many people in the Arab community that are involved in a lot of giving. It's not something that, that we're aware of. And it's something about what that was important to me as someone that's on the giving side to be able to have a conversation and to exchange uh, views and, and have the people that are in the leadership position of giving to be around the tables of giving together with me. So when I discovered that there was this leadership that has existed for many years in different formats, then it was very important for me as, as a funder in the Israeli scene to be able to, to find how to connect with, with, these, uh, with these colleagues. So that's, that's my perspective. So there's, you know, in the Arab culture, I'm not an expert, but there's the concept of Sidaka, which is like really one of the one of the central pillars of Arab culture. But as you say, it's more charity than than a strategic philanthropy that look at the impact mm -hmm. and whatever. And you're but you're seeing now that people understand the need. And it's by, by the way, it's a similar process to what happened in the Jewish community. People gave mm -hmm. for thousands of years, but then in the last decades, people realized that there's a need to do this more professionally and measure and and th and you see the same you see the same process going on in the in the Arab sector now I believe yeah like it's it's more of of how the the community is is developing like at the beginning you you give and next next year they come again and you give and the year after they come again and you give And then you ask, like, what, what are you doing with the money? And then you start thinking, I want to have an impact here. Right. But from the other side, I mean, we're seeing more and more, I mean, looking at the Arab community, seeing more and more people who are much more educated, you know, lots of doctors, lots of professionals, lots of people, entrepreneurs, who are starting to make a little bit of money. And, you know, when you are, when you live good, You want also your neighbors to live good. The people around you, you want them to live good. So I think it's it's a phase of starting to think about the others because you are able to impact the others. Like when when you need something, you're you're so exhausted, you know, looking for right. for the thing that you need. But but when you feel comfortable, you want to help others. I mean, at the end of the day, all of us want to be, you know want to do good and, yeah. and want people to love us. I think it's, it's a human character, <laughs> I, I believe. It's what know. makes us such a, such a successful species that we, uh, that we help each other, we are collaborative. But let me, let me ask you from what you observe, and maybe this is for both of you, uh, from, from what you observe about Arab philanthropy, what are the favorite causes of that Arab philanthropies like to support? It's more basic needs, it's more poverty, it's more education. I mean, I think it differs from me to other people. Yeah. But for me, I mean, I look at the Arab community and I see huge difference between the huge gap between, I would say economic gap between the Arab community and the Jewish community. So like this is our passion of supporting these three E's. But you might talk to someone else and, and he would say, I mean, it's violence. We're surrounded with violence. I would want to support violence. Violence is, is very important. 
I believe, like Ahmad and me, we believe that if people have decent education, decent jobs, uh, we will see the violence decreasing and not increasing. So it's, it's about how, how you look at it. Yeah. Adina, as in general terms, do you see, you know, because you, you, you're knowledgeable of the Arab sector, you're, of course, a, a Jewish uh, philanthropist in, in Israel and also in the worldscape. Do you see some stark differences in the way folks do philanthropy? I would say a few things. One is that, you know, as w one of the one of the amazing things of putting together the network is to meet different people from within the Arab community. And then to hear, I remember the meetings that we had where there were maybe 20 people in the room or more and just hearing the different areas that people are involved in. So some are, is dealing with violence, some with education, some higher education, some elementary education, some with entrepreneurship and, and employment. Some, I, there was even um, in the arts I heard uh, that people are about, or health and taking a role also in whether within the Arab community, which I guess mo a lot of the giving is within the Arab community, but also to giving to general uh, national Israeli institutions like hospitals and things that serve a, a wider range of people. So like with any group of funders, eclectic group of funders, you're going to find an eclectic needs that, that come from the variety of reasons that we all see. One of the things that uh, that I believe are, are I, I wouldn't say unique about the philanthropy, but special, and it's also something that we can learn about, is that two things. One is that the Arab philanthropy is led by Arab business people and entrepreneurs. So that is quite common in Israel generally with the, with the philanthropy in Israel. I would say because I also am familiar with what, what happens in, in the United States a bit, that there is some inherited wealth so that the people that are giving are not necessarily involved in the process of making the money. Right. And, and among the Jewish Israelis as well, many of the people that are giving are not in the process concurrently of establishing the wealth. And there is something to be said about taking a leadership position in building up a leading business at the same time as building the philanthropy. It is, there are differences that it's emerging leadership over a, a generation or, or, or two, let's say. And so that, that's something that at least from my perspective, and again, I'm, I'm an outsider of that, but that, that's what I see. And another thing that is that, that, that's unique more than other communities that I've seen is that the pressing needs of the community are, are next door. Right. So, so it's, it's a more immediate out. thing. You're, you're helping the, as, as Rim was saying before, you're helping your neighbors, literally. You're helping your neighbor. So I also want to help my neighbor. But if I walk out of my house, house in Talbia in Jerusalem, it's not evident to me. Let's put right. it that way. And so I'm further yeah. away in Israel, maybe less so than in other places, but I'm further away. And that makes it easier for me to sit back and say, oh, I want to think about strategic philanthropy. Let me see what, what, what I need to be doing. But if there's someone next door whose roof is leaking, then for me to, to be able to say, and I, I want to think strategically about how to help all of education, there is something that makes it more challenging to take that step. And that is something I think a unique 
place of, of the Arab philanthropy. And by the way, it's also something that we should all learn from because I, we shouldn't all be sitting as philanthropists and saying, okay, let's think, we, we must think about the bigger picture and it's important to me, but we also do need to be able to see that individual next door that just needs a coat, right? And It's, it's community-based. It's the old-style community-based philanthropy yeah. that we're, we're losing a little bit in the, in, either in the U.S. Yeah. or in the... And, and uh, but, that is yeah. something that I think we can learn from from the uh, from the Arab philanthropy and the place that it's in for whatever reasons. Right, right. Can you say a little bit about the network? Who's in the network? Let, let's start by people like this is a little bit internal baseball because I, yeah. you know in Jeff and we know about the network, but let's. Let's start from the very beginning. What is it? How it got created? Who's in it? I guess it's it's a journey about uh, two years ago when, um, I don't know, uh, Adina, the names, maybe you can help me, but the JFN decided that they want to be part of, I think, I mean, you, you can correct me, of creating such like an Arab philanthropy. And the first project that was... I would just say, sorry to interrupt you, not creating, we don't, we didn't create. No, not create, not create, like helping, connecting, connecting connecting people together to give. And there was money that was matched by the JFN for, for every giving that an Arab philanthropy gave. And we were very happy to know that the money was not enough. And, you know, like that the Arab community gave more than what we were supposed to give. We had this meeting for all of these people together, all of them, you know, just to try and think what are the needs if we need philanthropy in the Arab community and what would we want to learn about and how would we want to build it What's, what's the vision for, for giving in the Arab community? And I believe that seven people of us clicked together and, you know, like people are very busy. As Adina said, like all of us are business people who deal with our business and with our lives and with, with lots of things. And not everyone has, has the time to pursue this project. But luckily, six people, seven people came together and said, like, We'll continue together. We'll build the the garain, the kernel, the core, the yeah, core, the core. Yeah. and we'll and we'll start this initiative, and then we'll invite others to join us in this initiative. The nice thing about this group is that it's so diverse. Like it's someone from the Negev, with people from the the Triangle area, people from Nazareth. You know, like it's it's very diverse with more men and less women. So unfortunately, <laughs> we should work on that. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to the to the network. You know, there is always when you do a network, there is always two dimensions. There is the sharing, the learning, and then there is the aspiration that you may start collaborating and doing things together. Is there any idea of the funders joining forces and tackling? a big issue together? Of course, all of us are suffering from the violence in the Arab community. And yeah. For folks that don't know, there's a, there's a phenomenon of the sort of criminal violence, not sort of political violence in the Arab communities who became very evident 
during the last year, there were demonstrations about it. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of upheaval in the community and in Israel as a whole because of that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I believe like this is something that is close to the heart of of everyone. So of course we would work together, you know, to try and help in this. Though I mean, based on what I said, like this is not part of of my my strategic giving because it's it's not about you know fighting violence. But when you see it so close to you, when you see that it's it's affecting your neighbors, yeah. your children, your business, other yeah. businesses. So you have to to deal with yeah. it. Adina, do you see a lot of potential learning back and forth between the Jewish and the Arab communities, in, in especially in this issue? I mean, the Jewish community also has an issue with violence, you know, family violence in Israel. It's it's unfortunately a big issue. Gender violence is a problem. Do you see that there could be here points of contact, points of mutual learning? First of all, definitely. I mean, we can always learn from one another. But one, one of the things that are also important is that when you have a distinct population that's more represented, so the responses that are tailored to, to specific needs are more evident. So if you take, for example, the issue of violence, then there has been, or, or dealing with violence, or do, dealing with, let's say, young adults and youth at risk, because partially it comes out of, of uh, populations that are at unease, let's put it that way. Right. And when you look at the programs, and, and I've been involved in, in some programs through the Ministry of Welfare in Israel that are that are dealing with how to deal with violence in a, or with at-risk young adults or, or something like that. And you look at the programs that exist, then many of those programs in Israel, for example, are geared towards rehabilitation of these youth in the army settings, meaning the system built programs that are not appropriate for young people that don't serve in, in, the, in the military, such as many people from, from the Arab population. So I, I say this because I think that, of course, each community needs to look at itself. But when you're looking also on a national basis, if at the table you don't have anyone from the Arab community, so of course none of the programs on a national level are going to be based on needs or catered to needs of, of that population. So it can be with violence, it could be with, uh, with the violence in the house, it could be with women's issues, health issues. And so when we look at things and, uh, at various needs nationally, and that's, that's how I see it, I think that this is an opportunity to identify the leadership, just in the same way that leadership from the Jewish philanthropy, right? We call it the Israeli philanthropy, but actually the people that are called upon are the Jewish philanthropists that come right. and it's many times the same people that help set the agenda. Then if we have other Arab colleagues at the table at the same time, and not just one, but several, as Rim said, from diverse communities within the Arab community. So we're ensuring that not only are the needs catered to on a local basis, but also looking more broadly from a national perspective, there, there's a responsiveness to, to those needs. And that's what I think is so uh, exciting about the creation of the network. So perhaps there is, just like in JFN and other networks, Yes, you find the place to collaborate, you create 
relationships and you create things that you can do together. But you also create a cadre of people that are at the table and at a conversation and inform each other from a position of equals rather right. than a position of grantor grantee. And that's what's so significant about this. I mean, I just wanted to give a different example about the way that when all of this issue about the COVID-19 started in Israel, it, at, at the beginning, it was dealt with, with the government. And after a while, they understood that they are not able to reach the Arab community. And right. when it was delegated to the community, it was led by the community, you know, we, we saw lots of things changing. So it, this is just to stress what Adina said, like different communities have different needs and different way to look at things. So And, and, here, and here having the philanthropist being part of that community actually helps because many is what Adina was saying before, like when the people in need, when the people are trying to serve are not really physically your neighbors, as in the Jewish community many times is. You're sitting in Erzaliya or in Talbia in Jerusalem and you're helping people in, you know, Kiryat Shmona and you don't, you're not so enmeshed in the dynamics of the community. So you ask somebody in Tel Aviv how to help people in Kiryat Shmona you know, protect themselves from COVID, they have no idea because they're not enmeshed in the community. Whereas in the Arab sector, you ask you how to take care of somebody in Nazareth, you know that because that's your own community. And that's, so if there's an immediacy here that in the Jewish sector, we don't necessarily have, and it can be very helpful to tackle social issues. Let me ask you another another question. And I know that, you know, Adina, this is your your baby too, the, the idea of impact investing and mixing commercial and entrepreneurial tools to address social issues. And uh, Rim, you said that one of the E's that you support is entrepreneurship. So what, what do you think about the place of impact investing and new philanthropic tools that mix business with philanthropy in the Arab sector? No, it was it was interesting because yesterday we had a, a, a discussion about this. So, so Rim referred to me about impact investing. And I said to, to Rim that, that the, the, the business of, of Imad and Rim is a, a major, from my perspective, major impact investment, whether they called it that or, or, or not. And maybe that, that leads back to what it means for an Arab person in Israel as a minority in, in the state to build up a successful business, what that means in terms of leadership, in terms of giving work to people, in terms of modeling for, for a younger generation, in terms of generating uh, you know, the products of these uh, businesses, which many of them are, are, are you know, based on uh, whether, whether it's health needs or food needs or, or whatever it is, those businesses. So if we see a combination of uh, right, the double bottom line, or sometimes the triple bottom that we speak about with impact investing, with both achieving financial and social gain, that is the essence of, I think, just inherently, many of the of the business people that that we see in the Arab community, and they speak that the discussion is such that it it doesn't even need to be packaged with the words that today we we use you know, all of these. Um, terms in, in terms of impact investing, that's what intuitively a lot of it is. That is, you know, I have, as you said, I believe very much in, in the power 
of the business sector to make change alongside philanthropy, but definitely in and of itself, it's, it's a driving force of society. And so to have the, the business leadership that is almost inherently looking at the community and how that can be leveraged is something that, uh, that we, we definitely can, can learn from. And, and it's being done already, you know, even if we don't call it by that name. So. Right, right. I have another question, which is, do you see, uh, Rim, given the normalization with, uh, with some Arab countries and the warmer peace, let's say, with the Emirates and with Bahrain, and do you see that there is a connection there, uh, or a possibility, rather, to connect Arab philanthropy in Israel with Arab philanthropy in general in the rest of the, of the Arab world? Like people connect. If... If you are away from me, I'm not able to connect with you. If we meet together so we, we, can, we can talk and talk about things that interest both of us. So I believe this normalization would be very good for the business, would be very good for the philanthropy, would be very good for, for both sides. And I'm a bit optimistic about it. So, but it's about careful optimism. So mm-hmm. we... what happens but I've been already to Dubai I connected with people lots of uh, Palestinians in Dubai it's very easy to connect with them to relate with them same language same tradition maybe same uh, pains I would say so yeah. it's very easy to to connect together and do things yeah. together. because I love I love that there are as you said political and economic links I would love for it to be. Philanthropy links. I mean, there are things that we can do. We can do together, you know. But but listen, I mean, one, our former chair, you know, Georgia Bennett, she created a, a multi-faith alliance to deal with Syrian refugees that involves Israeli philanthropists and mm-hmm. involve also Emiratis. So it could be, I mean, it can be done and it can serve not necessarily our populations, but the world at large. Yeah. I mean, if you're able to help, so why not? <laughs> at the end of the day, we all know that, I mean, when you give, I mean, you get more, much more than what you give. We had a podcast with Dan uh, Ariely, who was talking about, in, in, in neuroscience terms, uh, <laughs> the satisfaction of giving is, yes. is, much give, is much greater than the satisfaction of receiving. I have to say that uh, that in in my multitude of zoom calls uh, today or generally so just hearing Rim, I was thinking I said wow what optimism how nice that my day has not ended yet but what what a, what a nice uh, beat to end off with and and I think that you know those those of us that as you said philanthropy gives back to us more than what we give part of that is because we're able to see hope and we're able to see vision. Unfortunately, it also brings us to see a lot of uh, pain and, and things right. that we're responsive to. But it also shows the people that are acting on the ground, trying to do things and, and where we can help them. 
you know, re really, I, I, I almost, I'd say I don't belong on this call because it's not, it, it's a network that's starting that, that is, or that started of, of leadership that is my peers or friends, I would like to say, or colleagues, but it's just extremely inspiring for me and hopeful that we have this leadership and other people that share in our hopes for the country, for our communities, for the world, for, for the region. And to be able to, to share that with others is just something that adds that adrenaline to what we're doing. So for me, it's an amazing um, privilege to be able to witness and take part and, and in some ways. Amazing. Remember, Adina, like you're our role model. And I think the innovation <laughs> that you are creating in this, in the philanthropy, is something that you need to register IP for, I think, like... <laughs> <laughs> really starting a startup in philanthropy. So for me, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at you as my role model. So I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning all the time. I'm and this is what networking is all about. It's about learning from each other and, you know, getting enriched by the interactions. If you're looking forward, if you're looking to the future, you know, we've been talking a lot about traditions and the history of a community. If you're looking to the future, how do you how do you imagine or how would you like to see the future of Arab philanthropy in Israel? I mean, I would like to be having this conversation and saying the Israeli philanthropy and not the Arab and the Jewish philanthropy, because like at the end of the day, I mean, we, we're, we're living together. And if, if the Jewish community lives, lives good, the Arab community will live good and, and vice versa. So the idea is to have more people involved in giving. And maybe also, I mean, I'm, I'm dreaming about what the JFN has for the young generation. Like I'm looking now at my, at my children who are adults. And I want them to, to learn what, what is giving and how to give. Because the house, like where I, I grew in a, in a house that, you know, like my parents went through 1948 and they lost everything. Thinking about giving was not, you know, like my parents did not think a lot about giving because they, they had to think about survival. Right. And coming to the next generation, which is our generation, and, and we live both both ways, and now we see that, that we, we are living good and we're able to give. So we are we, we're learning how to give. Right. But looking at our children, I mean, they were born into, into a good situation and they have to give back. So I would like to see also the, the young generation involved in, in, in giving. So it's about us learning how to give from other groups, from the Jewish funders and from other groups, and maybe giving together and, and sharing, uh, you know, experiences. And also having the next generation, you know, have it in their blood that they must give. It's, it's at the beginning, you have to give and then you can get. Yeah, so I think I think that this is not very different to you know what we want for the Jewish sector, you know, especially involving the next generation, like keep the chain of generosity and giving 
You know? well, I, I want to reiterate something that, that Rim said that we're saying this also as Israelis. And as yeah. Israelis, it's, you know, the, the Jewish Founders Network is, is the Jewish Founders Network, but in Israel, we have you know, not only right. Jews. And so to have the, the future of Israeli philanthropy at the leadership of Israeli philanthropy include right. a variety of different people that comprise Israeli society, I believe that's a good thing for us as a state, for us as a community, and overall for our relationship as Israel abroad, whether it's with Jewish communities or, or with the international community. It's, it's important to have those voices at the table, at the, on, on the side of the power and not just of the side of the recipients, let's say, or, or those with the needs. Yeah. And yeah. I actually, you know, I had a flashback as we're speaking um, I think it was the first time that we spoke and it was the first time that actually that I started to speak about Arab philanthropy was when this maybe it was even 10 years ago when I was involved very much in, in giving to needs of the Arab minority in, in Israel. And sometimes I would find myself uh, um, frustrated because I would say the donors are setting an agenda that's not helpful to the Arab minority for whatever reason, right? And I said, we, we as donors, why don't we meet some of the donors together and try to be more strategic about what it means to create a more inclusive society and to give and not to uh, continue uh, the, the, the gaps that exist by, by our giving, you know, to, to give smart. And so I convened a group of people and then on my list were only Jewish people. And I said to myself, I can't believe that I am repeating by definition the same things that I'm complaining to, or to the nonprofits that we're supporting that they're doing. And that, that's when it dawned on me that, that it's imperative that we reach out to have the conversation, not just about who to give to, but how to give, how to right. look at it. We need right. to broaden the table. So that table for any need in the community, when there are more voices there, of course, it will be more effective. No, absolutely. And, and the, more, the more we can connect, you know, I think that these are concentric circles, right? Is you need both. You need the networking among the Arab sector. And that's very important for the Arab community to sort of develop its own style and its own philosophy of philanthropy. But then you need the bigger circle, which is a conversation about Israeli philanthropy that involves all sectors of, of society. And for us at JFN, that, that's very important. You know, we, we tend to be, as they call here, you know, Ashkenazi normative in a way. And we, we're not only not listening enough to the voice of the Arab sector, we're not also not listening enough to the voices of Sephardic Jews, Oriental Jews, Haredim, etc. So I think... I think this could be a learning that we apply also internally in the in the Jewish community at some point. How to create a, an integrated approach to philanthropy that includes, you know, the differences and the and the and the specific needs of, of each sector of the society. Thank you, Todaraba, Shukram. Hope to continue the conversation. Yeah, hopefully. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Adina Shapiro and Rim Yunis, and I wish much success to Kudra. Thank you for tuning in. We want to hear your feedback. 
both about this podcast, but also guest ideas, breaking philanthropic news, whatever you want to send us. Please write to us at communication at jfunders.org. Keep up with the Jewish Funders Network at jfunders.org and find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at jfunders. You can also follow me on Twitter at Spokoini. Since we talked about Arab culture in this podcast, I want to leave you with a quote from Khalil Gibran, who said, Tenderness and kindness are not signs of weakness and despair, but manifestations of strength and resolution. So keep being kind, keep being strong, keep giving, and join us next time on What Gives.